OK Video, coming to you from Calgary, Alberta, home of the Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo. Exposition? <laughs> uh, the second biggest such exposition in Canada. I'm Nathan Rohrer, who once applied to work at the Calgary Stampede, but never heard back from anyone, and I'm joined as always by Ryan McCullough. Hey there, Ryan here. Um, that's actually kind of fascinating because I, you might be the first person I've ever met who didn't get a job at the Stampede when they applied. I... I'm pretty sure I didn't take a call and say no. Like, I think they just didn't like what I was putting down on, on the sheet or whatever. So oh, there it is. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm, I mean, I'm not I good never, enough to uh, sling root beer. I never applied for the Calgary Stampede. But like I said, I know everybody I know that applied was like, oh, it's a guaranteed job. Come work with us or something like that. Yeah. So anyways, uh, yeah, I've been to both the Calgary Comic Expo. and But I, my favorite was when it was uh, at a Mac Hall before it became like this giant beast and like Peter Mayhew was there one year and you could just like walk up to his table and just like talk to him. Cause it was in Mac yeah. Hall. Like it was a small, tiny thing, but, and then it became a huge monstrosity and not about comics anymore. More about like, well, like it kind of changed ownership and got even bigger. Like it's whoever the fan expo people or something yes. acquired it at some point. I think I was into it like just before it got that big. Like it was still occupying the stampede grounds, mm-hmm. but it was still like run by this kind of tiny local group of people. Yes. So like their app was super janky, but that was kind of fun. No, and, I, like, I remember you, know, you, you and I went one time at least uh, in the early days, but it was still like just two years before I think you and I went. It was like Mac Hall. You remember? Have you ever been to the Red and Right White? expo yeah yeah near mcmahon stadium yeah it's like I've, I've been that's that. what the original expo of that one used to be like like that level okay you used to sit at that tier um and then it just kind of scaled up really quickly yeah and then it like just really focused in on like do you really want to meet these celebrities and get their signatures and i'm like no and they're like cool then you probably shouldn't come yeah or like pay even more money to go to this special panel yeah. where the entire star trek cast is there if you just want to see two of them that's fine. That's included with your ticket. But if you want to see the big one, it's like an extra $80 or yeah. something. It's like, all right. So, well, yeah. yeah. It lost its soul a little bit. That's okay. <laughs> but anyway. anyways, I'm um, Ryan. I'm here watching movies with my friend Nathan. Uh, this week, we're looking at The Dark Half, directed and written for the screen by George A. Romero, who was a 2014 guest of the Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo. I enjoyed his panel. Um,. It came out April 23rd, 1993. Uh, it cost $15 million, according to just Googling how much did this movie cost. Uh, it wasn't on the wiki. Uh, it made $10.6 million, though, so lost money for already dying Orion Pictures. Uh, so, yeah. Um, here, let me run you through the summary of this tale. Thaddeus Beaumont had a strange problem as a young man. He kept hearing giant flocks of birds during some of his writing sessions and collapsed due to the terrible pain. Turns out there was an absorbed twin in his brain that was starting to come to life. The doctors removed an eyeball and some teeth and stitched him back up. Decades later, he tries to kill his pseudonym rather than cave in to a blackmail threat. Shortly afterwards, a series of bizarre murders begin to take place with his literal fingerprints all over them. Rather than arrest Thaddeus, Sheriff Alan Pangborn lets him investigate the strange happenings. Turns out his absorbed twin has somehow managed to come to life. How, you may ask? Good question. That's a good question right there. Anyway, a giant flock of birds eats George Stark and Thad and his family are saved. 
credits. <laughs> like, <laughs> just hard credits. Like, no falling action. I was really no ready resolution. for another scene, because they sort of teed one up with his friend, yeah. and it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So No, like, there's yeah. no, like, oh, wait, what happened? Like, how did Thaddeus not go to jail? Like, why did they believe Alan Pangborn's, like, story of this, like, skeleton being eaten <laughs> by birds? Like... There's, like, no evidence to really support any of the crazy we stuff. We literally like, have Thaddeus's like, fingerprints everywhere. Why is he not in jail? Because even if it was a, a, a twin, twins have different fingerprints, so I don't understand. That doesn't quite cover it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of just kind of hand-waving away. I feel like this was also part of the books thing because uh, this was regarded as, like, a pretty faithful adaptation, and I guess it is. But yeah, Wait, it's a little weird. What? I've read this one. I just can't remember most of it. I remember like two scenes gotcha. <laughs> vividly. So yeah. Um, but as I said, yeah, Orion was dying. So this took about two extra years to come out, which sort of explains the timeline in the movie <laughs> that so, I was really like, thrown by. Like this was filmed shot in 1991. Yeah. And then it was just And then shelved. it's like if you watch through the credits, it's like copyright 92. Like it is fully edited and done in 1992 and doesn't come out until April 93. Oh, okay. So So yeah. it's like barely Okay, so one of the things we talked about with uh Needful Things came out the same year as this. Yes. So we got yeah. dark, we got Detective Alan Pangborn twice the, in one year. Yes. We got two yeah. Castle Rock films in one year. So we can compare and contrast two different performances. But one of my big criticisms of Needful Things was like this took this movie came out three months after Jurassic Park, but it feels yeah. like a movie that should have come out five or six years before Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. I, like the year I put in my mental map was 1989, which isn't true at all. It's actually before the book was written. Yeah. Uh, this like, was this was written in 1989, uh, but yeah, was made in '91 and couldn't come out for a while. Yeah. Okay. To... But I would still say this movie looks more like a '90s film than Needful than Needful did. did. Maybe like there's still some like weird old looking things going on, but I I kind of smiled at it. I still enjoyed a lot of what it looked like. Like the last special effect shot with like the magic birds disappearing <laughs> yeah. into the like Ghostbusters-y looking like portal or whatever was going on there. Uh, so there's not even bird evidence left. It's just like no, dude. There was like too many sparrows here. It's like where'd they go, Alan? Uh, like, okay. into the vortex. This thing I need to know is like how much I want to know how much of this was faithful because I not, so much of this movie made zero sense to me. Like I kind I think I had a good time watching this movie. I think I had okay, a good, good time for the most part. I think it was way yeah. too long. Like 30 minutes way too long. I'm trying to think if I felt like to the weight of its length. It's about 2 hours. Uh I think around the 90-minute mark, I did a check. I was like, where are we at? And it's like, okay, there's half an hour left. All right. <laughs> and then just kind of wrote it out. See, where it's like, but... I did it about the 60-minute mark, and I was like, oh, okay, so halfway through type of thing. Yeah. Like, it takes them a while to figure out, like, okay. It's weird what's going on in this movie because I assumed at the outset of this movie that it was – his mind goes foggy and he goes and does some murdering like Thaddeus Beaumont was on a business trip to New York city, but he was really in Maine killing Homer Gamash 
and like thro- beating him with his own leg and then he's back in Bangor or whatever or back in Castle Rock and he's just like what no I was on a business trip and literally doesn't remember but he did it and that's going to be the thing and then he gets a phone call kind of lost highway style from himself but he he kind of knows point, but he like he knows that it's Victor calling him like he knows that it's the dark sorry that is George himself. George Stark George Stark him. yeah he like he, yeah. he almost like once the phone rings in the house he kind of like looks at it like he knows who's on the other line already right and there's at least a line from the cops that like insinuates maybe they thought it was a recording or something like it's a performance for their benefit kind of thing and it still is him but they still don't arrest him uh and do everything they can not to so that the story can continue to roll as it goes which i don't know i don't know that this story changes too much if like thaddeus is in prison for a section of it and it's like they're still happening and then it then it's weird but i guess that would free him of all suspicion and there wouldn't be any tension on that side of the story but so yeah uh, just even the wiki talking about the book seems to imply very similar to the movie it does seem like it's very similar that like there is no the book doesn't even very clear but like is this like a manifestation of thad is this thad like projecting himself is this thad himself going and doing these things like the book is also kind of loose like plays loose yeah like I almost wish they committed to the wackiest explanation where there's this notion that like his remains, like Stark's remains from the surgery were put in the family grave plot. Like I almost wish there was just a shot of like this impossible like thing growing under the ground or something as as they're burying it or whatever or something like that. Like something to explain it in some concrete terms, no matter how silly where this came from see what i wanted what i wanted was more of like so you remember the scene in the movie but partway through where thaddeus is writing and then he stabs himself in the hand with the pencil like george yeah yeah he's kind of unconsciously like he's staring out the window at these sparrows and then is free writing but it's like stark free writing yeah using his hand so there seems to be like a physical connection between the two what i really wanted was I mean, it would have made the final scene a lot funnier, but when they fight each other at the end of the movie, that whatever in pain they inflict on the other person, they also inflict upon themselves. Oh, yeah. So when George goes and like gives like that big giant kick to the nards to Thad, that George They'd would also keel over. <laughs> like, yeah. Doesn't like twin dragons or something do that? <laughs> like with Jackie Chan where he's playing twins, like he'll kind of get kicked in the face and then his like composer like compatriot oh that feel i it. didn't i've never seen twin dragons but that sounds like a good oh. idea okay yeah just this is kind of twin logic of like them having a special link or something well especially because they did the both of them got stabbed in the hand like he was able to control he, he yeah stark stabbed his own hand to force thaddeus to do that to himself yeah yeah so it's like or at least you could have had like stark or thaddeus like beat each other up with each other's like not fight each other but like like Stark makes Thaddeus punch himself in the face and, and like, like just Thad- writes it that yeah, it happens Thaddeus, or something. Thaddeus makes like like uh, Stark nard himself type of thing. Like, sure, yeah. If they played a little more with them controlling each other or something in the final bout, it would be sillier. But I mean, this movie like opens pretty quickly with like an eyeball in a kid's head. So I was like, oh, this is some wacky stuff. 
and then it kind of doesn't get too wacky for a bunch of it. <laughs> I know. Like, there's some, like, weird murders later and, like, some quips from uh, George, I guess. Yeah. That I thought were kind of wryly funny or whatever, but they don't they don't go full tilt whack like the way I wanted. So, yeah. I, I guess I could have done with a little more color in the final oh, like, like, I, battle. Like, I... <laughs> I love the opening sequence, like the opening like uh, surgery sequence was like, this is exactly the type of movie I, I was looking forward to watching. And then it just, I think that's where that 30 minutes comes in where it's like, there's just like a longer period where it's just like, hey, get to know Thad as a family man and all these things are like, trim this out, get going with the George Stark stuff and the weird like murder mystery stuff. And I think I would have just been like this tight 95 minute movie just with silliness happening with like what's happening. It doesn't matter. Move forward. Ugh. I thought there was some like colorful supporting characters during that section though. Like you get the blackmailer guy, Fred Clausen. Uh, it's Robert joy who would yeah. later be in land of the dead, but he like, he just kind of emerges from his class and starts threatening him in but a I feel kind like of colorful that, way. That wouldn't get cut. Cause that's a key plot thing. Yeah. You need that. Yeah. You need that. Uh, but <laughs> But then, like, the kind of, like, main oddballs that all happen at once, like, you get Homer, the photographer, you get, like, the big New York City interviewer guy, and then you get Royal Dano as the, like, gravedigger. So I just was like, wow, I'm my head's spinning with all these, like, goofy little supporting characters, and apparently, like, one of them had one leg, and that didn't even register until later. No, no, because <laughs> like, it wasn't, just... I don't think it was mentioned at all until... no. And then just gets caught on the door of the truck, yeah. and you're just like, "What?" <laughs> it's like, "All right." But here's the thing: uh, he had the he had the the like he had the balls to say like it doesn't matter. This person has one leg. It only matters when he's about to be murdered, and then he can be killed comically with one leg. Yeah, with with the leg, I guess yeah. the prosthetic. I, I don't know, but I, that's off screen. I don't even know what I would cut out. There's just a lot of sequences where it's like, so you mentioned this in your synopsis. Like, I like. Michael Rooker a lot like the, I do I really like Michael Rooker I was a big cliffhanger fan as a kid and obviously he's had a resurgence with James Gunn stuff recently um, yeah but like I, I actually I think I prefer his Panghorn to uh, Ed Ed Harris's I just find Ed didn't bring anything of unique f- fun to the table like he was just too much of like a a square a good lawman or something well he's just too much of a square and whereas like Michael Rooker was like I don't know why he's making these choices but he's making them so. Like, I almost wondered if, like, canonically, like, Needful takes place after this or something. So that's why Alan is more like, that guy's the devil and he's not a person. <laughs> As opposed to, like, him being skeptical here where it's just like, that's crazy, Thaddeus. There's no way that's what's happening. Like, it's more likely that you recorded yourself talking and are murdering on the side than there's a literal, like character you created stalking the streets, killing people. That doesn't make any sense kind of thing. Like, he's... He's kind of a stick in the mud on that end of things. So, and then I think they just kind of throw out like his story carrying across several King books because he's married to like a totally different person and has a kid already. Yeah. Like in this timeline, whereas in Needful, he's like just meeting Polly and is going to marry her. So then that would, wouldn't that tell you then that this story takes place after needful things. I think they just ginned up a family for Alan Pangborn in this movie. I'm not oh, even okay. sure if he had that in the, in the actual book. Gotcha. But then but, but the, why, why would they give it to him in this movie? There's no, like they didn't serve a purpose. Well, there's kind of no point to them anyway. <laughs> like That's what I mean, they're so. not really threatened or anything. So 
That's what I'm saying. Like, yes. why would, I just don't know if that would... I think it's possible that this t- takes place after Needful Things. And then. it would have been Polly, but it's just not. Like, her name's Annie in this. Huh, like, the wife. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and his kid's, like, 12 or something. Yeah, his kid's <laughs> so. old. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just, like, there's a lot of investigating stuff, and you pointed this out in your synopsis, where why did he let Thad be out on his own type of thing like that it's just like for plot contrivance reasons but here's the thing yeah you can get rid of a whole bunch of plot contrivances if george stark kills people in short succession rather than like every night goes and kills somebody yeah like his murder timeline is kind of drawn out like so it's sort of plausible that it could be thaddeus for a while but we it eventually isn't but that's what i mean like so, so if you if you had like george kill everybody in one night or something like that then all like of a sudden, he's able to supernaturally appear elsewhere or something. Or most of the people were in New York City, so he just has to move around New York City a bunch. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, and then Thaddeus was at home, and then it doesn't seem so crazy that Pangborn would believe Thaddeus, and therefore Thaddeus would be able to move around a bit more. Whereas, like right now, it's like, oh, man, six like, people on, died. Like, almost more like what would eventually happen in King's book, The Outsider, where there's like an airtight alibi that puts you like on video somewhere where you couldn't have been yeah. during the murders, kind of thing. Which makes sense because there is a supernatural killer that's like basically a doppelganger of him. Well, The Outsider is a supernatural killer too, isn't it? In The Outsider, yeah. Yes, but it's a it's a doppelganger type thing in both stories. It's just more personal, like with this, this one, one yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is what I mean. Like, I just I don't know. I, I feel like there's a good way to chop off twenty minutes and just make it a little more tight, with like, because like it's also weird like how they hide George Stark's face for most of it, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, halfway through the movie, it's like now we're going to reveal that it's Timothy Hutton in weird makeup. And I'm like, well, that first kill of Homer, I was like, oh, they're kind of deliberately obfuscating who this is. Yes. And then that entertains the notion that it could still be Thad doing it. But then eventually they just throw that out with the phone call stuff and everything where it's just like, no, there's two entities and they're they're Well, okay, can I tell you what I thought would have been pretty clever? So um, Thaddeus as uh, George Stark pre-records himself as George Stark and then forces himself to have this pre-recorded conversation where he knows the cues in real life. So I'm saying like when I first, when I heard the phone call, when I first heard the phone call, I didn't think anything about it being a real person. I thought it was like at first, like, oh, this is clever because it's like there's a recording somewhere. George set up a recording where it's going to play. It's going to make it seem like Thaddeus is innocent. Hence, freeing up Thad to be free so George can to continue murder. to kill people at night. Yeah, yeah. I guess I kind of... That that first beat when Pangborn says that, essentially, was like, oh, I guess maybe that could be what's happening. And then it seemed like moments later there was a murder or something that could not be explained Yes, by, by Thad not being there. Like, he's being phoned in Maine while being in New York murdering. Yes. Like, simultaneously. So, they throw that out. No, they do. Like, they, they really drop the hat super quickly in this movie, and then all of a sudden, it changes completely from a movie where, no, George Stark is a real person. We have to track him down and figure out where he is. Wait, how is he a real person? Yeah, and that's the question, like, obviously we would ask, and that's the one the, the story just doesn't really decide is important. Like, it kind of just... 
eh. And even like, he, but the he, thing he's is, he's here. The problem is that, like the logistics of it don't make sense too because it's clear George is like disintegrating because he shares a life force with Thaddeus. Yeah. So he's clearly not human, but he is physical flesh and blood though. I was almost getting like Twin Peaks The Return vibes with how this was going with like, oh, there's this like kind of facsimile of Timothy Hutton that's like trying to leech off his life force, but it's like falling apart, literally. Yes. Like it kind of had a similar thing to, is it, oh, what's the third like uh, Cooper? Like there's at some point there's like three of them and there can't be. So one just like vanishes or whatever, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I don't remember his name either. I don't. Uh, but is he like oozing ink? Is that what we're supposed to believe? Yeah. Or was it graphite or something? Like something was weird about that blood. And I was, my first guess was ink, but I was like, well, but George Stark doesn't write with a pen. Yeah. So is it graphite water or something? Like yeah, what something is happening? Like yeah. Like Anyways, I thought it was kind of a neat look to that, that yeah. wound looking not quite real or something. Exactly. Like it looked strange. So, I don't know. Like, I mean, there's parts of me that's just, like, watching this movie and being like, okay, I'm going to watch this for what it is. But then the problem is, like, it does at times beg. Like, when they start actually spending time in the room with each other at the end of the movie and, like, manipulating kids and having the wife there, I'm like, this makes zero sense. This movie might have been more clever if it was a secret window type of situation where it was, mm-hmm. like, clearly – this guy slips in and out of this personality. And it's almost like Stephen King understood that. And that's why he made secret window. Yeah. No, like, and with the outsider thing too, I feel like he sort of iterates on like similar ideas later in different ways. Like, it's just like, what if it was like airtight that Thad Beaumont wasn't there? And then how would, how would a rational cop explain that? Like he could, he would have such a problem and that's like that creative impetus. No, and, and I, then it is a here, good, to be fair, outsider is a great impetus. Like the idea of like, no, Jason Bateman is on camera here and he has multiple eyewitnesses of being over here. And it's like, that's actually, and great. he's such a known like local figure that they're not going to mistake him. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a kickoff. good con- conceit, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and no, and I'm, I'm all for the conceit he's coming up with, but my thing is like, I think he revisits stuff like he did with, um, was it sleepwalkers? We were talking about sucking the souls out of things. It was sleepwalkers. Yeah. Yeah. Like the true knot gets to do that again, but in a more like thought out way. That's what I mean. I think he revisits stuff cause he's like, I had a good idea there, but I didn't quite land it. Cause like Mm. when I do think of secret window, um, I think of like this story where it's like a writer who, like bad things are happening to him, but it's him doing it to himself because this darker person of himself is responsible for some of these darker writings. And I don't know. I, I actually thought secret window did a better job with a similar conceit, but obviously this they're around not... the same time in terms of when they were written too. Cause like four past midnight was shortly after this. Yeah. So I feel like he was like still in that zone and like trying to fix it after it's also apparently this was like the last like substance abusing Stephen King novel. Like uh-huh. he got clean after this, so it's kind of him like contending with the well, because like there's getting that... rid of that dark period in a well, way. Yeah, because he was uh, he was very openly talking about how like this the inspiration for the story came out of him killing Richard Bachman, but I don't yeah. think he was as open to the world at this time about the real inspiration was him getting over his alcohol demons, like. 
and and there's sort of like some of that with like well george stark still smokes and george stark still drinks and i gotta get rid of that part of my like writing as well because that's holding me back kind of thing yeah he's he's not writing he's not writing the to the level like when i drink and smoke i'm not writing to the level i should be writing to right Although I found it kind of fun. Like his agent has this line where it's just like, I read George Stark because it's fun. I read Thad Beaumont Beaumont because it's my job (laughs) kind of thing. Like, it's just like, but then then it would be like if Stephen King wrote like wildly different subject matter than Bachman did, like in terms of, but I think, no, no, I think that's the mistake is like, I don't think he was talking about Bachman in that moment. I think he was talking about, he was stepping back and he was saying, I can see when I'm what the books I write when I'm drunk and I can see the books that I'm writing when I'm less drunk. And he's like, yeah. I, I like those books more, right? Like when you, he probably wrote stand, a lot of stand and a lot of it, not drunk being like, oh man, this is good. Or like the shining and then Firestarter and just like hot trash that nobody like. I mean, I like Cujo, but apparently that emerged from like just a fog. Like he, he doesn't really remember writing. That's what I mean. And so that's the thing is like the argument he's making is like, People like George Stark type books. Like that's why Lee, Lee Childs has a job. James Patterson has a job. Like these guys write pulp, and people want to eat pulp. But yeah. nobody is t- saying how pulp is important or is in like to writing. Mm-hmm. And that's what his wife is like. The editor's ex-wife, who's across from him, hears him say this. She's like, "That's why you have an apartment across town from me," because. He doesn't want to read good books. He wants to read trash, which is fine because there's nothing wrong with trash sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of when the movie is embracing its trashiest stuff. I'm probably smiling more like like the blue red murder scene, like in the hallway. Oh, with no, the no. Reporter. Yeah. I don't. The thing is that, like. I want this to come off very complimentary and not like snobbish. Yeah. So don't hear it as a snobby thing. Cause I, I don't think he needs to be up here but george a romaro doesn't make like high class highbrow films that make you think about a lot of things about the intricacies of relationships he makes fun films that can sometimes have really good like allegories in them i'm trying to think because my experience with like the european cut of dawn of the dead is like different than his his cut but that sort of speaks to your point almost because like it took another editor to like change the tone of the movie for it to have more like character moments and stuff. Yeah. Like, whereas he's more like, yeah, just, just, you know, more blood and splattering and let's just have fun. (laughs) It seems to be like the, the motive behind the, the cut I remember. But here's the thing. Like, there's nothing, what I'm saying is there's nothing wrong with that. Like, like night of the living dead is like a lot of people's favorite movie of all time. Like a huge, like huge portion of people that love that movie. But like, he's also not making, like Citizen Kane by making Night of the Living Dead. He's making a statement with a different type of movie than Citizen mm. Kane type movies. And there's enough room in the world for all of that to exist. I'm just yeah. saying like he's not going for that type of film. So when he has more dramatic moments where it's like a struggling writer and his wife and his twins, those things aren't going to hit as well as any time George Stark is on screen or any time the silly sparrows are, are flying, or when an eye <laughs> opens up in the middle of someone's brain. Like, those are the moments yeah, that are going to like pop. Yeah, like, that's more so his wheelhouse, That's I what guess, I mean. Like fair that's, to say, yeah. That's going to more pop on a George A. Romero film than his human relationships. 
mm-hmm. the complexities Which, of human relationships. I mean, I was enjoying the like that first bit because it seemed like the most directly allegorical to Stephen King, the person stuff on film, like of just like he's a writer in Maine and he's, you know, he has his family and like it's just kind of like more one to one than it usually is yeah. with like his his personas in the stories or whatever. Like he's teaching English. He has this pseudonym. Like, there's just more Wait, bullet Stephen points King, in common. Was King uh, writing, was he teaching at the time, too? Well, like, in his earliest career days, like, when Carrie got published kind of thing, he was teaching, yeah. yeah. I don't think university, but, like, it's like a version of himself more so than than most writer characters, even though they're, they're pretty easy to spot. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, th- this one's, like, more one-to-one. And I almost felt like maybe i was just hoping this was true or what but like i know romero and him like had known each other for many years at this point so maybe some of that like personal insight like of his friend was making it into this because i was getting like really good even though it's shot in pennsylvania like more many vibes from like some of the stuff yeah like uh during that like photo shoot scene well i mean whatever. in all fairness like, this uh this whole movie was like a big like Stephen King highlight reel of Maine. Like it was Ludlow, it was Banger, it was Castle the, their Rock. Naaman's towns and like the only thing they yeah, didn't do yeah. was go to Derry. Like that's the only like big Maine town they didn't even talk about. And no one goes to the lot anymore after what happened. No, so it no. makes sense. Yeah. But um <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I don't I, I'm not trying yeah, because I'm not trying to be disparaging towards Georgia Romero at all. I'm just like that was not where the movie was really clicking for me. It was clicking for me when on the fun stuff or the yeah. Else. Like, did you enjoy the hallway murder? That was one of the few scenes from the book I like remembered was the razor blade attack, and then I was happy it it kind of happened with some which hallway murder flare. the the blue red like lighting one. You know who is he murdering? Sorry, the the reporter like the ponytail yes. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a fun scene. Although. <laughs> It ends with, like, it's, like, Pangborn's doing his own, like, I know the guy, so that's why I'm not being a great cop. These New York cops are just really phoning it in. Like, just, like, who was that guy in the elevator leaving the murder scene? Oh, I don't know. Anyway. Don't worry about like, him. Don't worry about you, it. We got a dead body over here. We're guy, in huge trouble here. The police officer who, like, their sweep of the apartment is walking five feet into the apartment and be like, all clear. <laughs> well, he's definitely not in the front entrance, so you're good. And then they leave, <laughs> and then he's like totally there. No, for me, the, the biggest frustrating point was okay. So the near the end of the movie, when um, Thad figures out that George is like around and going to kill his, like threatens to kill his wife and kids, he's on the phone with Panghorn, being like, "I have to go. Like, I got to get out of here." And Panghorn's like, "No, you're staying there." your wife is protected. Like there's a police escort with your wife. And I'm like, that has so many reasons of why that isn't a big deal because all these other people died. There's already so many dead cops in this movie. Like <laughs> yeah. all these other people have died under police escorts. Like, no, that's not a protection. And th- at the end of the day, he only leaves one, what looks like a rookie state trooper with her. <laughs> yeah. But he, but he tells him like, Hey, keep your eyes open. <laughs> so should have gone fine. Yeah, like, that's the thing. I don't know if it's anything Rooker's doing. I just felt like this Pangborn was very, like, dry or something. Like, what he's doing and what he's thinking and where his head's at was just like, no, like, this is much crazier than what you're saying, and he's not picking that up. Oh, for sure, but I, you know? but I, I, you're right about the dryness. 
I, but something about Rookery's performance made me happier. But Ed Harris, I just found so boring. Like I like Ed Harris, but I found his. He was just so. Maybe it's just because the movie. I think. Was so I think boring. again, like the scene I remember was him yelling at at Danforth and Norris. I don't think it's in your cut that you saw. Yeah. Probably. So like, there's a little more flavor in in the longer version because you get a whole extra hour. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, fun little um, note just for any of our fans out there, because we talked about how this was an Orion Pictures film. Yeah. And how this yeah. is like on the outs for Orion Pictures. Our our logo, like our main logo, like biggest inspiration was for was from Orion Pictures. Yeah, they're kind of Starfield, like O and everything. And like how like, we have a line through some of our, like we looked for the best um, font that would allow a line to go through without completely ripping off Orion. Mm-hmm. Like when we set out to make it, I was like, oh, I kind of have in my brain like a, an Orion Pictures thing. To do. Like a like studio from the exact era we love, but they're dead now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, just, yeah. I remember being like uh, growing up at Blockbuster, like a VHS copy with Orion coming up with the stars spinning and things like that. So I was like, oh, that seems like exactly what we would be interested in. So, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, there's so many things. Like, when I first, when we first get introduced to George Stark, the, I, I still was like, wait, like this is clearly Timothy Hutton, but they put this weird like brown makeup on him to make his face look really like blotchy. Like he's almost got like a caked on chin or something. Yeah, and then they like flash out his eyebrows and I'm like, is this, are they trying to trick the, at this point, are they trying to trick the audience and thinking that it isn't Thaddeus, but kind of looks like him? And then it's like, no, it's not. But I was, I was trying to And his to hair is out. like black instead of brown. And, yeah. Yeah. And slick back. I was trying to figure it out, but like, the, a lot of the choices they made with George didn't make a lot of sense to me. But I don't think we're supposed to think about it too hard. Well, like his friend Reggie, who is introduced wearing like a Where's Waldo outfit, which I thought was really weird. <laughs> like she has like a striped shirt and like a red cap and like big glasses. I was like, is this intentionally doing that? What is this? I found her. But she also, yeah, she has really ostentatious necklaces and stuff too. Uh, but whatever, she does some like research on stuff while he's gone on like sparrows and oh, like the there's this supernatural. Great, there's this yeah. There, there is one reference in there that I'm like, this has to be true because as is that is leaving, he's like, hey, look into sparrows for me, and she's like, looking, she's she's like sparrows as she searches her pockets, and then she's like, she finds it on the shelf. She grabs a pipe and holds a pipe up to her mouth like sparrows, huh? And I'm like, this yeah. is. What is who is this person? Like why why are we doing <laughs> yeah. this really weird Sherlock That's Holmes? That's an English bit? professor. She's got a big pipe and everything. No, it's like a That's... no, but it's like a Sherlock Holmes like literally like has a mystery now and she's got the pipe to prove it. Yeah, and then she finds some book that explains something about the birds being like psychically no they they come from the afterlife to get souls and bring them back yeah. to the So they delivered George whatever to the world and they were taking it back because yeah. one soul had to win like whoever and only dominated. one of like only thaddeus like hears them and knows when that's going on i guess like that's an element of stark's mind sure. that isn't shared or whatever but at the end of the day stark was eaten by the birds i'm pretty sure he knew they were there well <laughs> but he yeah initially he's like what are you doing why is this happening like i don't get it and then it's just like no nah, it's a wall of birds i don't control them <laughs> Like, they're just going to eat you now. And it's like, no, I'm going to shoot this baby, which 
<laughs> it's just like four babies in peril, which I know is like Ebert's least favorite thing ever. This felt like sort of comic about it. Like there wasn't, I didn't feel like these babies were in danger. <laughs> you know? No, personally. I know. And he really, he sometimes takes this baby thing too far. Like when he makes fun of drive, drive angry. And I'm like, okay for drive angry. I get it. Cause it's a schlocky, silly movie. That's creating false like stakes by putting a baby in harm's way. This isn't false stakes because this is a father dealing with his kids and somebody's trying to kill a kid. That's not false stakes. Like you care about this guy's kid because you care about these kids. Introducing mm-hmm. a baby and then putting him in peril just for baby's sake is false stakes. This is like, oh, I like, care about this these, relationship. These twins are there throughout the movie. Yeah. Like they're they're part of Bo- the Beaumont clan And like George wants to hurt. He doesn't care about these kids. He wants to hurt Thaddeus and, and make him weak. An easy yeah. way to do that is to threaten his kids. And I, I like again, it's not really a thing they like say, but he can't hurt Thaddeus directly, probably because he's generating the life energy needed for him to exist or something. So if he were to shoot him, he would die. I was what I was getting out of that limitation, yes. you know? No, uh, exactly. And then actually, yeah, there's that scene where they're like finally like he's in a corner and he has to write this book. Like it seemed like having this pseudonym was basically like venting this evil energy and like preventing it from taking a physical form all this time. Yes. Like it was a release valve that he is no longer like managing. So it's just taking over. So you, you've seen uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare. Yeah. So is that basically they have to make a Freddy, the Freddy Krueger film in the real world. Or else the spirit demon that's connected to this idea of Freddy will seep into oh, it. Oh, it's like we need to periodically make one of these to, like, deal with the evil. Yeah, and then that's how, like, this real evil in the world seeps in is when they don't, they're not making a Freddy movie quick enough. Um, this is, yeah, very similar, where it's like he has to write George Stark books, and when he stops writing them, George Stark becomes... Yeah. Oh, and I, I kind of meant to mention it earlier. Like, the timeline of this movie... I is very like 1991 and that's just because that's when it was made (laughs) like it doesn't really map out now with its current release year because like it's 1968 when the movie starts and then 23 years later (laughs) is when (laughs) we pick up the tale and then there's like oh yeah george stark 1985 to 1991 like on the and then it's just like, really so this is like a period piece? <laughs> like but this even, is like, even if this came out in 1992, ago? it still would be last year. Yeah. So I, I feel like it really would have come out release calendar year 91 under normal circumstances. Yeah. But yeah, huh. it's just odd that they didn't revise it. Like it wouldn't hurt too hard, but I guess it's like, well, that was on the carved into the tombstone. We can't just like reshoot that. So... No, like it Orion, like they were having so much troubles that they had a finished movie and couldn't release it, or they didn't want to release it because they thought it was going to do poorly. I still, I, I still haven't really figured out what was going on with their finances because, like, right around this time, they had like Dances with Wolves destroy the box office and like Silence of the Lambs destroy the box office. <laughs> so, what was the other investments that was like siphoning off all this money, or were those deals like? set up badly for them well, like it's like, like yeah kevin costner cleaned up well, right off the, the top of my head left. i know that like uh both of those movies are mgm films and this was an mgm film so it's possible that like um 
MGM just took a bigger the distribution piece was way bigger than it should have been or something. Exactly. Like it just could have been a bigger piece than we realized sitting here. Right. Um, yeah. Because like, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm like, yeah, that those are big movies, but it also could just be like any of their independent films away from MGM could have flunked and like MGM, like only give them a... like that's eating into their bottom line. Way oh, harder. you missed yeah. the big one, buddy. Uh, Robocop 2 is a huge, like, huge failure for them. Oh, okay. That was fully I know the too. Robocop series is them, but okay. Yeah. Like, and, like, Navy SEALs was a big flop for them. Okay. Yeah, there's a bunch so of So the ones you don't there. remember are the ones that are eating, eating away. Yeah. But Robocop 2 didn't do good. <laughs> Robocop That's... 2 uh, only made 25 on 21. Oh, okay. But like, Sons of the Lambs slim. made two hundred seventy-two on nineteen. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I'm looking <laughs> like I'm looking at Dances Wolf was four hundred twenty-seven on twenty-two. But I'm looking like all the every single one of their other movies almost like either broke even or lost money. But like four hundred million dollars in like nineteen ninety bucks. Oh, but yeah, and they did they... the Adams Family too. They did international distribution for Adams Family, and that movie is huge. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like franchise pictures was our like trying to understand the failure of a f- company. <laughs> we didn't really research Orion on that level, but yeah. No, it's but just, like they, I know, weird. I know that they were they were definitely hurting for a while, and Robocop was mm-hmm. a big deal. That like any of their independent, like all the things that they owned outright didn't do well. Like we're I think, out there on our own distributing this, and it folded. Yeah, yeah. whereas I think Sounds of the Lambs was mainly an MGM film that Orion. Oh no, it's fully them. Anyways, um, actually, yeah, I'm wondering if the MGM logo is just on it now because they got those rights. Like same with the UHF DVD I have. Yes. Like it's it's MGM now, but it wasn't in 1989. Yeah, like you would have got but... that VHS copy. It is weird. That makes sense because the Thomas Harris books have always been like distributed weirdly. Like it's like. Orion is Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon's Universal, and something else, I think it's Fox, is uh, Fox and Sony are Hannibal. Oh, okay. Like, he sold like just individual different, rights. Different studios getting a hand in the pie. Yeah, but... he, he sold individual rights. He never sold, like, a series. Or the Hannibal character. So it's just, you have to license them individually. Yeah, but I think now Anthony the, Hopkins. I think yeah. now the the Hannibal character is like a universal property, but because okay. um they did Red Dragon and the the TV show. Anyways, oh sorry, I I meant to be talking about like during their collaboration scene when the kids are in danger. Like I did kind of like when like the wounds start transferring, mm-hmm. like as Stark writes more and gets more confident, like weird scars and things on his face start to disappear and then Thad starts like bleeding out of his scar and so stuff. Like I thought I thought that scene actually did things backwards. So the that scene starts off with a really confident Thad, knowing that like he doesn't need George and he starts writing without George's input at all. And he's writing, yeah. writing, writing. And it, I thought that scene was gonna prove that like, no, Thad doesn't need George. George will die because Thad doesn't need him anymore. He can write a George Stark book without George. But okay. then all of a sudden it goes to George and then George starts writing and then Thad gets sick from that. And then they yeah. just physically fight each other until the birds come. 
I guess, yeah, the actual, like, fight in the office I didn't really need. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, like, that's what I thought. Like, I thought the whole lesson, like, that old lady tells Thad, like, hey, you don't – the way you get rid of Your him – Your imagination made yeah, this happen. Like, yeah. the way you get rid of him is by you not needing him. And I'm like, what? when did we learn this lesson? Like, literally, Thad is dying to George because George is beating him. And then they physically fight and then birds come. And I'm like, what is happening here? Like, how is – like, do yeah, the scene like it, reverse it didn't even George... make it clear that like, like maybe if it made it something like, no, he is making the birds come because that's part of his mind that exactly. only he has or something or like his imagination or, or just really whatever. lean into like a weekend George because Thad is able to write a George Stark book without the help of George Stark anymore. Like he's become good oh, like of a as he writes more and more and like writes his fate. It's like, oh, no, like yeah. I, I'm fading away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. the birds then come type of thing. But it just – it revolved into <laughs> this like physical battle and it was unnecessary and kind of cheap. So mm-hmm. – and not good looking. I mean I was – yeah. Like they, they do kind of the – there's two like two versions of the same actor in the same scene. Sometimes it looked okay. I wasn't like seeing obvious seams really. But there's so like – few and far between and they're also like wearing costumes that would be easy for a double to wear like just giant sunglasses and like bandages over your head and stuff like that bandages yeah yeah yeah. like it's just like well if we had someone stand in they would look weird so that's fine yeah (laughs) like people won't really notice the finer points so Um, yeah i you have a note and you have a note here being that you thought the dream imagery was kind of cool uh, I didn't feel it was like this is what a dream is like. I just thought it was like fun, dumb makeup business, like that well, turkey. Yeah, I didn't care about the turkey as much. I really liked the porcelain face. I thought the porcelain face looked really good. Yeah, and I thought it echoed like when he first walks into this dream. Like there's an Elvis song playing, and he sees this vase, and then it breaks. And then later, when he sees his wife's face, she has like that pattern in like little tiles and things on her face. Mm-hmm. And then it shatters, and there's a skull in there. And I was like, that just looks great. Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, like, I agree. Like, it looked like a really cool thing. So, like, yeah, I, I was pretty happy about that, too. Um, yeah. The... I haven't had a dream like that, but I don't care. Like, it's a good movie dream. Yeah, it's it a good, is a good like... movie dream. It is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What did you think of Timothy Hutton? Uh... There was, I think, during that, like, fevered writing scene, I liked him the most. When his eyes get real flared, there's, like, a moment where I was like, okay, like, that's some good business. Like, there's just a gleam as he's about to stab his own hand or whatever. Like, it was really odd. I Um, I really thought that scene went went well because it just, like, it was, I thought it was really well acted in the sense that, like, he's writing, 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 and all of a sudden his hand, separate from him, is moving towards his other hand and he, there's this look of terror on his face and also bewilderment of like what is happening right now I, yeah. I thought that scene was really well done and then I felt like the actual page that was written looked insane well, <laughs> like, it was because I think this, he like... was writing with his left hand like there's, okay. there's scenes where he writes with his left hand and his right hand and they look different because I don't think he's ambidextrous I think he just practiced to become Oh, okay. So to make more authentically odd looking handwriting, but either way, it's just this like horrible web of madness, like on the page. It was just like, 
I can't even like pretend no, to know what's going to happen later. That's what I mean. There's this one scene where you're supposed to be able to read the words that he's writing, and I cannot read a single word he's writing. It's like janky looking cursive, but yeah. like with weird like. But like every word you're there. seeing, every word he's writing because there's close-ups, and you're. I think you're supposed to know what they say. I was like, maybe we should just watch it on subtitles, and maybe the subtitles will tell us in like brackets, <laughs> like. Yeah, I mean, if I really wanted to study it closer, like, at some point, I did lose the, the thread of what was being written past, yeah. like, it's just like, all right, like, it's George Stark craziness, he's probably gonna go murder some more people, <laughs> like, whatever. But not even, but, like, he did, Thad didn't go and murder anybody. Like, it's, like, foreshadows actual scenes later sometimes, like, yes. razor blades and whatever, like, the stuff he's writing does come to pass, but, Yeah. Uh, I guess just because I don't want to miss saying the line, like <laughs> when the neighbor comes to intervene in that hallway scene I was talking about, like yeah. I enjoyed Hutton's delivery of just like, what's going on out here? Murder. Want some? <laughs> like, it's just this like weird, totally like flat kind of thing. It's just like, like super matter of fact about it, I guess. Yeah. It was really weird to hear that said that like plainly. Um, uh, it was it was kind of fun. I kept getting distracted by his lazy eye. Oh, Hutton? Yeah. I mean, it, like when he's in the chair and kind of crossing his eyes and stuff? There's or a bunch like... of times where he's cl- he's crossing his eyes and stuff. Like, it just kept okay. distracting me. I don't know why. It just did. But I, I liked him in this movie, and I, I don't mind Chris- Timothy Hutton. Uh, I realize Timothy Hutton's a guy that's been around for so long, but I can never, like, other than Taps and Haunting of Hill House, what has he been in? And, like, I know he's in Secret Window as, like, the new guy to, like, Johnny Depp's, like, uh, like, oh, I'm the ex and Timothy Hutton is the new, the new guy, like, in that relationship. Oh, really? Yeah, he's in that movie, which is (laughs) funny because it's, like, very similar tale. Yeah. Uh, But other than that, like, I haven't, is it Ordinary People? Was that, like, his big Oscar winning breakout thing? He won an Oscar? I think so. I think he won Best Supporting Actor in, like, 1980. Oh, okay. And then, yeah, but I haven't seen it, so. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I could I, I know, have this... more awareness of him than David Keith, though, I guess. From what <laughs> it I turns out. Whereas I have a lot more awareness of David Keith than I do of Timothy Hutton. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, that's how it goes. Oh, and I've... I don't know that I'd ever seen like a Toronado, like it's the car he's driving. Yeah. I was just like, what is this weird black car? And it's just like, uh, it's called a Toronado. Okay. Uh, that's not one of the muscle cars or whatever I know from that era. It but was a cool I thought it looked car, pretty cool. Yeah. 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 It kind of reminded me of like a, a bigger Corvette at times. I guess so. But yeah, it just wasn't on my radar. So who, who I, makes I a Toronado? What's the, company i i'd have to i'd have to know look into that pangborn seemed to know okay. but <laughs> i do not uh last thing on pangborn for me i really enjoyed that his commute was just across the street <laughs> like he's like all right see you later norris and then just like follows him over to like the first house on the corner is his house and then he just goes inside i was like man i might stay in a small town too if it was that easy <laughs> you know like well just, i mean I guess so, yeah. Like, that type of commute is crazy. My commute's pretty great for my job. Like, it's literally, uh, uh, I mean, before I moved, I moved one community over, but before I moved, it was, like, one road connected me to my school. It okay. was, like, a four-minute drive if I hit all the lights. But it's, like, a 40-second shot. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's really easy. 
But yeah. And then just something about like the light slicing across the room in his house. And then when the birds are pecking their way in and stuff, like there's just little things like that. Yeah. That I really enjoyed cool. the, cause I especially like the, the reverse shot of the birds pecking where the little light beams are hitting all the people. Oh I thought yeah. The kids in those scenes were like the best parts of those scenes. <laughs> they seem just so like amused by stuff. Yeah, there like, is one scene. Maybe where, like, that's why I didn't feel they were in jeopardy because those two kids seem to be having a great time. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. with those when the lights were when the birds were pecking through the, and the lights were shining through, those kids were giggling because they must have been showing them twinkly lights or something. But those kids were like giggling, and then they even like had one of the kid wave goodbye, like do like a, a hand class goodbye to George Stark as he's getting eaten by these birds. <laughs> Yeah, no, watching the kids, they definitely seem to, like, have people off screen kind of doing things to occupy their attention at times. But, yeah, they're they're little two-year-olds or something, and or if that. Like Not even, quite like, young. like yeah, less yeah. than six months, six months or so. Um, I, I totally got thrown off by this. Did those kids not look like Oscar? Kind of looked like Oscar, but... That's like two years before this was even I, made. I, I immediately got up my phone and I was like, oh, I wonder if it's the same kid. I'm like, Ryan, it can't be the same kid. <laughs> like, they can't. Like, I know this was made before it came out by a bit, but not that far. Because Oscars were also twins as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, we're talking about Ghostbusters 2. If you don't know that, you probably should be listening to our podcast more often. But Yeah, uh, Oscar Barrett, I yeah. guess. <laughs> so. so. But, um. Yeah, like I was sitting there, be like, "Whoa, those are that's Oscars, that's Oscar," but it, yeah, it can't be. Like, They're even, not even They're just... even if this like was a nineteen ninety one filming movie, that's still too many years off. Yeah, they would have been as old as I said, like two and a half, three instead yeah. of yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. Oh, did the birds bother you at all? I yes. was kind of wondering. Okay. <laughs> That, I was that like, last Ryan scene, might hate this movie because there's like tons of the birds type action. That last happening. scene was like, this is proof, guys. This is this is the what you need to see as evidence that birds will eat you alive if they put their minds to it. Little sparrows, even like little tiny cute sparrows, will get together and eat you whole. Mm-hmm. And that's what and happened. I guess I admired their like. I think at some point in those final scenes, we were literally seeing like 2,500 birds on the set. Like they just flooded the set with tons of finches or something to stand in for the sparrows. Uh, But then when the actual actors are opening doors and birds are flooding out of them and stuff, that's visual, like, you know, there's definitely a mix in that last scene. There's a mix between like camera gimmick a tree. Like, like they put a filter over top of the film because there's like such a scratchy, terrible looking scene. But <laughs> or like the reflections in Reggie's glasses when she's looking up at the cloud of birds, like looks different than it would, but it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but yeah, very much the birds type clouds of impossible clouds of birds, yeah. uh, which I wasn't really sure they'd stick to that, but I guess it's sort of important to the story. I just remember like this notion of clouds of birds following that around and not really sure why. <laughs> when i was reading the book yeah uh but yeah they're ferrying souls to the afterlife i should have known that so (laughs) whatever um great but i don't know i guess that's really all i have there there's a couple specific lines that were like i don't know that i can say raccoon the way they said it but when they describe homer being dead they they talk about him being deader than a squashed raccoon i will say (laughs) but without the Uh, ra yeah which i don't want to say that 
Yeah, I um, know. I think it like it sucks, and I mean, like it doesn't suck, but it's like it. That is, they were fully talking about a raccoon, but they were fully talking about a dead roadkill raccoon. Yeah, but now but, that, that word has been so like used, also, used in right? different so, ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, in this context, it felt very like authentically rural or something, and yes. I I enjoyed it. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I yeah, I I did enjoy it. I I found it maybe a tad long around, like when he's investigating the doctor and we're finally seeing like two in the same space or something. I was just like, all right, like there's no sense of is this what's really happening or not left anymore. We're just kind of seeing it play out, mm-hmm. and. I yeah I guess I do wish it had a more like zany explanation or like a weirder thing was happening than there's just this or just leave it like the the resolution wasn't so straightforward like I'm gonna punch that thing and then yeah (laughs) yeah it it doesn't really fully like I don't know like capture what's what's potentially funny about that that whole scenario so to be fair if it's also something that like it's adapted like if it's faithful to the book and from when I'm looking with the book synopsis it doesn't seem like the book also wanted to get too much into how George why why is this yeah it's just he tried to kill a pseudonym and it came to life to stop him (laughs) like that's the notion are we are we about to go into MVP yeah okay one sec before we go into MVP I will make one movie recommendation for any anyone out there. Okay. Go see James Wan's Malignant. Yeah. We can't elaborate. We can't elaborate. But, they, but yeah. if anything in this podcast and this movie sounds interesting to you in like the goofy vague ways, go see James Wan's Malignant because you will have a great time and you will feel satisfied. Yeah, we can't really like I I was obviously thinking about that movie a lot during that, yep. but I can't I can't explain further. So oh, yeah, no, uh, no. no like for, there's so you know, many for many then, years this existed and there was no malignant for you to see instead. Yeah, <laughs> so you know this was the this was the first one, but like there's so many similarities too, right? You know what I mean? Like both movies opened with stuff that like tell you everything, and then it like continues like it's a mystery. Yeah, and then th- just like it being a kind of colorful murder mystery is is in common too. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I I felt that movie better capitalizes on its creative potential. Oh yes, than this did. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. I think I think too that also just it lended itself to like it had a bigger budget. It had like modern effects and choreography and stuff like that. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, like twenty eight years separate them, so mm-hmm. you know. This this was fine for a while, but <laughs> there's there's a new kid on the block. I there's guess. a new kid on the block, and and I will say this too: Stephen King um, gave high praise to *Malignant*. Like okay, he tweeted good. like, "I very much approve of this movie," and James Wan was like, "This is a huge treat towards any like any like huge like horror nerds out there. This is like the one. This is what we were waiting for." So he had a blast. Okay. He said so. That's good. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. So we'll leave that on the side. We can't, you know, give MVPs no. to that. That's not No, no, I'm just saying I want to put that. I had, it had to be said during this podcast that Malignant is a movie people should see if anything in this podcast episode was interesting to you. Mm-hmm. So that's all. Okay. Uh, MVP time. Yeah. Uh, do you want to take first swing? Yeah, yeah, I'll take first swing this time. So mine 
went to like this was not hard for me like i as soon as the credits hit i was looking for this name up on the up on the credits because it's like this is the person i want in here oh okay um, mine went to ken walker he is the anima- animatronics guy oh okay uh that eye like, oh, in the head where the head yeah that, that was open. like a great early beat i i was like oh ho, ho. so yeah. okay. but that was my favorite beat of the whole movie like all the silliness that came after was fine good but that was like oh this that that scene in my mind doesn't really represent what happened in this film like that was right. the like that was an opening scene to a movie that could have been so much more but what came afterwards was like kind of like the the watered down version of the movie that they could have done yeah, I mean, short of, like, some of the wackier murders, like, with the paint, like, lowering thing yeah. and whatever, like, th- there's some fun to be had, like, of that sort of flavor, but this was the most outlandish idea yes. put on the screen. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, and, yeah. like, obviously there's more animatronics, like, the last uh, the last scene with the birds pecking George... Um, like just destroying the office wall and everything. Well, and George, and, uh, no, but more specifically the oh, pecking at yeah, George and destroying. Yeah, it's like this torn apart skeleton yeah, with like birds. That was clearly out of the like holes. that wasn't a human at one point. That became like an animatronic. So like that part goes towards it too. So oh, and the porcelain skull we talked about too. Yeah, was pretty sharp. So I don't know yeah. if that would would that be animatronic though. It has to be like a I'm moving not sure. part. Yeah. Um, it has to be like a moving part. Anyways. So that's, like, I kind of went to that, like, the eye moving, I was, like, having a blast. Like, that was, movies should open with things like that more often, which is, like, oh, that's cool. I wanted to see that. So. Okay. Anyways, Ken Walker is mine. Okay. Uh, Mine, like, it, I don't know what happened exactly. Like, it's sort of, like, the positive version of something getting stuck in your craw, (laughs) where, like, just, like, a detail that shouldn't have really mattered, like, really appealed to me, and I just kept thinking about it for some reason mm-hmm. i really like the costumes in this movie <laughs> like the outfits that they put together for these like professors and like weird lo- small towners was just funny to me like yeah. homer uh reggie the professor with her like first she's wears waldo and then later she just has this odd necklace like just little things like that were just always standing out to me and then just the abundance of sweaters <laughs> that were on display yeah uh, at the Beaumont household. Uh, so I just have the wardrobe department written down here. Oh, but you uh, should do costume designer. Who this is... was how it was credited in the movie. Like like the final credits, it was the wardrobe people. You know? Yeah, but costume That's... designer. So it would be wardrobe people would be wardrobe. Costume designer is Barbara Anderson, who did like his only worked on George A. Romero films. Okay. I mean... I kind of want to look at the little people because they might have found the sweaters for the more sure. minor characters. Sure. But, uh, yeah, okay. N- Nancy Palamitier, uh, that's the supervisor. Mindy Eshelman and Jim Wood. And then you got Tom Stokes, Diane Collins, Demita Roldan, and Beth Levine were the additional wardrobe people. I just mean, like, assembling the look of what everyone's wearing mm-hmm. in, in the scenes. And also, that's what the final credits highlighted for me. So I didn't go back to the the opening. So sure. apologies. What, what was the designer you you mentioned? Uh, Barbara Ann. Okay. Anderson. Just sorry. Barbara Anderson. 
yeah that the the professor's outfit was too weird to not have been thought about <laughs> so yeah some credit has to be shared around and like literally um, speaking like i'm looking at her like she her first credit was literally a, a tv show but then her first movie credit was creep show then she did day of the dead then monkey shines then two evil eyes then night of the living dead 1990 and then dark half and then she was done oh okay so the romero squad i guess yeah uh, but yeah, no, I just thought like it was a minor thing that just made me think about sweaters more. So I was happy about that. Sure. Uh, maybe it's just the fall season that we're in or <laughs> something. Uh, but yeah, I, I liked how it looked Great. in that respect. Um, question wise relating to costumes in a way, and also my opening thing about comic expos, have you ever thought about cosplaying as somebody? <laughs> I, I mean, I have cosplayed as somebody. Okay, who who has? I have uh, a race dance Ghostbuster costume. Oh, good. Okay, like I felt really creatively limited by like only thinking about characters that have glasses, because <laughs> I don't feel like my glasses are such a part of my face that I really narrow my thinking in that respect. So, yeah, it would be like an Egon or something. Maybe I did dress as a Ghostbuster. But like, okay, for so for example, if you dressed up as like a- Ash Ketchum. Mm-hmm. You could still wear glasses, and people would be able to figure out that you're Ash Ketchum. <laughs> they wouldn't walk up to you and be like, "Hat? Wait, what? What, wait, wait, what, what are, are you? What are you dressed? Are you up like as? his dad or something? <laughs> what are you dressed? Are up you as, Professor man? Oak? Like I see the red coat and the blue, uh, the blue vest here, and you got. Pikachu but that's the thing. You, I would but... be like, I could dress as Professor Oak because he's got glasses. I can't. No, but I, I mean, like, no Ash. one's gonna walk up to you and be like, "What are you dressed up as?" And you're like, "Ash Ketchum." Like, no, you're not. You got glasses on. <laughs> like nerd. <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm just worried that's going to happen. So I mean, he I goes Clark Kent, like or slick down side the, haircut, over oversized coat, all in from like Metal Gear. <laughs> yeah. So, but I don't know. It's just it's always been a stumbling point for me is thinking about the glasses angle. So oh, yeah, I don't. I would if I like it's like if somebody was balding, they could still dress up as whatever they want like the, you can't be walk up put and put a like, wig on if this something. person like is has like no hair on the top of the head and you're like oh well, you can't be superman because you don't have hair man superman's got hair like, like oh you're like aging superman <laughs> that's the thing yeah i've always like overthought it like now i'm just thinking about like maybe i could dress as some sort of like just to have a full mask on and then the glasses don't matter because you're just this is like you're actually like concerned about this i'm so sorry man like like yeah I, I do not. Yeah, I mean, I personally, I've never thought about this for myself. But obviously, I don't have glasses, so that's a reason for that. But well, I would you say could it put doesn't on matter. fake glasses if you wanted to pretend to be like a character with glasses. Yeah, so. but what I'm saying is, yeah, I could put on fake glasses. But you, like, I would say it would. It doesn't. Like, okay, what is something you want to dress up as that you don't because you have glasses? Oh man. I'm I'm not even like 100 percent sure at this point. Like, what like what's something I've been enthusiastic? Okay, recently I was looking at like the Dead Rising games I really like, yeah. and it's like, well, Frank West could wear glasses because the, it's a video game and you can like choose various costumes, but, I know, but he doesn't like, you're by still, default. You're still thinking right? of this like framework. Like, what 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 point in your life were you like, oh man, I I want to dress up like this, and then you're like, oh, I can't because he oh, doesn't wear I glasses. Can't. I can't be character x 
that's the thing. I don't know when this would have first like creeped up. Because you said you've like been a... any Star Wars character because they don't <laughs> I have glasses. Say, I was like, it would be pretty great if you dress up as like Darth like, Sidious. I could only be Darth Vader with like a really big mask. <laughs> or if you were like Darth Sidious. No, but you could be Dark Helmet. Oh, I could have. Yeah, I could. You know what? I could be Dark Helmet. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, because it was Rick Rick Redis with glasses. And on And he often it. pops up the mask and then is just there with his glasses. Man, I, and if I was going to go as a Ghostbuster, I would go as Lewis Tully. Lewis Tully in a stance. You know what? This is a great breakthrough. Like Rick Moranis cosplay is within my realm. <laughs> You're right. So okay. Because all you have to do is get a Ghostbusters costume, an Egon Ghost, like a Spangler Ghostbusters costume, and then wear it. And everyone would be like, oh, you dressed up as Spangler? You're like, no. No, I have earmuffs on. I'm clearly Lewis. <laughs> like, my on hair is the bus. plastered down to my head. And I'm wearing, like, uh, I'm walk- I have my bus pass ready. And I got mm-hmm. my Ghostbusters <laughs> plaster. Exactly. There you go. You have to have your bus pass ready, though. Like, that's key. That'll get, that'll oh, be but, a good And trick. then it ends up not mattering because Slimer's driving anyway. Yeah, exactly. But- Exactly. Well, I hope you have your license. So okay, Rick Moranis. That's the keystone. That's like I that's the breakthrough for you. Yeah, I don't. I, like, I, I, all these media properties, but yeah, yeah. I've never actually cared too much about cosplay. I mean, when I was getting into my Ghostbusters costume, because it's like a full proper thing. Like I got the flight suit. I got all the patches and all the things like the gear for it, like the elbow patches and the boots and the hose. Like the hose that goes to nowhere is on mine. Um, okay. Because there's a hose that goes to nowhere. Like there's a hose like that it, comes it out the front. It doesn't actually connect to the pack. It just no no no. It just literally connects to the belt. They wear the hose without the packs. <laughs> okay. Um. Anyways, uh, when I was setting this whole thing up, I was like all into it. I just wanted this one thing though because I wanted. I also had the props. Like I have. I want. The, I mainly want props for things. I don't want to dress up as like. I want a lightsaber. I don't want the cloak. Okay. So. Mainly because like, I can you have like a spiked bat, but it's rubber and won't hurt people <laughs> at a convention. No, but I they like, want, like, you have to like check your weapons. I know, but I kind of like, like this just spiked bat someone. in real life, and then it's just mine. Like I don't take it. No. <laughs> yeah, you could do Final Fantasy Wait, that are way. Are you sorry? Or... Are you referencing what? Which which? Because there's Dead Rising Two. All right, has, because has it's like combo. Weapons. Yeah, sure. Because you could also be referencing like Steve or Negan. So okay, <laughs> why? Like Negan from Walking Dead is like famously has a spiked bat. Oh, seal. Any yeah, zombie fiction requires a spiked bat. Steve <laughs> from Stranger Things also gets a spike. He makes a spiked bat in season two of Stranger Things. Okay, he pulls yeah, it out yeah. for season two after having it for season one. It's like okay. his, Steve's like signature weapon. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, I uh, cosplay has never been a big thing for me, but. I do have my one costume and I'm very proud of it. Like I'll, I'll keep it. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, that's all for this week, I guess. Uh, thanks for listening. If you want to ask us something, you can email rhinoocavito.ca or nathanoocavito.ca or tweet at okvideopodcast. Uh, next week, we're wrapping up the Stephen King batch with another George Romero film, Creepshow from 82. Uh, until then, I'm Nathan. And I'm Ryan. Bye-bye for now.